Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. My name is Gorsha Huchua, and I'm joined by my friend and partner, Alex McNamara. Alex, are you excited to come down to Southern California this weekend? Very excited. Uh, you were just telling me about how the weather is um, changing to make the transition easier. So LA is currently raining, which is excellent news coming from Portland, where I've just had rain forever. Yeah, I was going to so, say, otherwise you would, you would have to go to the one store in Portland that carries some uh, SPF 50 and just lather yourself in it, but maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe you will have an, uh, you will have been spared, you know, the rain there. <laughs> I know. I saw a great um, uh, tweet from someone, which was like outside of uh, um, the, like the, the car park store, which is like rains once in LA and like the bin is just full of wipers because no one realizes how broken their wipers are until it rains the first time. Truth. <laughs> Absolute truth. truth. All right. Well, this yeah. is um, this is our weekly um, Ad Talk edition of the show. Um, it's a format where you and I discuss news and events in the world of marketing and world that's adjacent to marketing that we found to be the most interesting. We invite you guys to send us your thoughts and questions via LinkedIn and Instagram. And we also have a website, www.30minutescmo.com. Now let's get on with the show. Yeah. So first up, Microsoft invests into Cruise, uh, the the GM-backed um, autonomous driving car, um, increasing the valuation up to thirty billion, which is huge news for the Cruise team. Um, you know, we we know Cruise uh, well from our previous lives in in advertising, but um, this is this is. This is big news for the um, for that team, um, especially with with Microsoft, um, you know, picking them out as like one of the the leaders in the space. You know, they're the ones who have been have pioneering uh, their test drives in cities which are complicated and complex to figure out, like San Francisco, the, like San Francisco, whereas a lot of the competitors are like you know, dinking around in Arizona where the streets are four miles wide and there are no other, there's no people on the road, um, especially no pedestrians. Whereas in San Francisco, pedestrians hurl themselves out into the traffic just for the sheer fun of it. And it rains all the time. Apparently turning left in the rain is one of the trickiest things to do. And in San Francisco, there is plenty of that. Um, but this is, this is huge news. This is, um, this is really like a, 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 you know, a big company, you know, from the tech side rather than the manufacturing side, staking a claim in what is going to be the future of, you know, getting around. Yeah, $30 billion valuation um, after this investment. It is interesting. Uh, we, we've heard, obviously, that Apple is in some, at some level is considering or working on uh, autonomous car um, technology themselves. Um, so maybe this explains why Microsoft went into this, although I doubt that it was some sort of a preemptive move. I'm sure it's strategic for me as a marketer, I guess we're both marketers, right? Like, and we've, as you said, we've worked, um, with Cruise in our previous lives. What is, you know, at what point does Cruise and companies like Cruise, Waymo and others, um, start messaging, um, to the general public and getting them comfortable with the idea that their cars are safe and are um, real alternatives to um, human-driven cars. And, and what is it going to take? Um, what kind of messaging will it take? 
in order for people to believe that uh, they can um, get into one of these autonomous vehicles safely. I mean, I think I think what crews have done, which is like brand their cars and drive around um, in San Francisco, has been a great uh, a great platform for them because everyone knows their cars in San Francisco and that that's their home base. And I think how they've been leveraging the content that they produce on YouTube um, for the people who care about it intensely and go seek this stuff out. They, you know, they had their, they were the first uh, autonomous brand to go dr- fully driverless on a test run in San Francisco, which is huge. And I think that, you know, those kinds of things, I think, you know, um, what is it? Uh, exposure brings familiarity. So the more that they see crews um, around, the more that they see crews being um, safe when they get driven around uh, and that familiarity with the brand, I think that's going to start lending people to to be comfortable with it. You know, if you'd done it, what, four years ago, 2016, I used to see Uber, Uber cars drive around and they were in the press all the time for the most horrific reasons. Um, and it's not like one brand is is different to the other one. You know, if one has a has an issue, the whole of the industry gets um, gets tarnished. So you know, you're kind of like playing together, you know, but also competing with each other. So I feel like it's you know what they what crews have been doing and really trying to put themselves in the customer mindset and the user mindset of why do I care and and how do I make this better for me um, is, is something that they've done really well. And they've really thought about how to tap into, you know, the, the community leaders and the people in San Francisco who see them all the time and really think about how to make them feel comfortable to then, you know, word of mouth to everyone else. Yeah. I keep wondering um, about how autonomous vehicles, um, autonomous ride share, um, how would it have impacted uh, people's ability to get from place to place during this time of, time of the pandemic where, God, you know, amazing. getting into an Uber obviously is something that you would think twice about. Um, getting into a car that doesn't have anyone but you um, is is probably more comforting. Yeah, I, and I think, I think, you know, getting into a car with no one in it is, is going to be really, really weird. And I, you know, I'm still trying to think about like, what's it going to be like when you get into a car that has no driver, you just got to trust the process that it's actually going to work and take you to where you want to go and stop in the right place and, you know, not take forever to try and turn left in the rain. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's going to take a lot of getting used to. And the, the difference between in theory, it, people are comfortable with it. And in practice, people will actually go and do with it. That's going to be a huge leap. But, you know, it's yeah. going to be getting used to it. You know what's, uh, you know what's interesting? I, I, I just remembered a time when I was, we were still traveling for work uh, a lot and I forgot when my plane was leaving um, and I hailed an Uber. <laughs> I was extremely late. I think I had, between the time I was leaving my, my place here and, and the flight, there was less than an hour remaining. And, you know, I told the Uber drivers, like, dude, like, if you can, you know, you, you would be doing me a huge solid by driving uh, as fast as possible to get me to the airport. And he yeah. did. And he did. And, you know, my selfish person would say, like, 
that would be a reason I would choose a human driver because there's there's no one I could convince, uh, you know, inside of a cruise car to you know break so, break all <laughs> yeah. sorts of rules to get like I would have been late, I would have been yeah. safe and late, and safe and late, <laughs> you know, and that's uh, that's that, that yeah that's a uh, that's an interesting one, um, but yeah it's um l- l- let's see I I also wonder you know what will Microsoft do in terms of uh, contributing its to, you know contribution technological contributions to make yeah. to, to make the, the leap go further yeah i was looking i was reading up about the sort of the cloud um software and yeah. edge technology and how all all of the new gadgets and things everything now is basically it's it takes too long to connect from uh for example a cruise car to a server you know via the the airwaves uh, to make decisions so every piece of technology now is edge technology but when you get 5g involved then you have all of the computing power in all of the devices connecting to servers much faster than they are now like the amount of data that's going to be transferred around is going to be incredible and like what does that mean for connectivity between all of the all of the autonomous cars like you know you look you watch irobot from 2008 and that's like all of the cars are connected together and there's no traffic because they all know when a car is going to merge into the next lane. And, you know, they all know when they're going to stop from, you know, a mile away and having that connectivity between that, between cars is going to be insane. I basically just want that, that to happen so that we don't get stuck in traffic because as we all know from living in LA, traffic is a nightmare. Perfect. Hasn't been for last year, but yes, it generally is. <laughs> yeah, well, your commute is what fifteen minutes now. It's typically to, what, an hour to, to just about anywhere. Uh, spe- speaking of um, alternatives to driving uh, a self-driving car, um, let's talk about bikes and bike share. Um, yeah. In Ireland, in Dublin, uh, Dublin Bikes, which is the I guess the organization that oversees the uh, the communal bike share program just did an absolutely brilliant ad um, to promote its service. Um, for those of you who haven't seen the ad, um, it's definitely worth um, searching for it and taking a look. Um, the humor is very Irish, but I think it translates really well and it's easy to appreciate. Um, and it basically just shows um, a regular guy um, who is um, you know, who is taking uh, one of these Dublin bikes for, for a spin, um, stopping by to, I don't know, adjust his seat or whatever. And having a competitive uh, Tour de France, um, you know, cyclist, an Irish cyclist, stop by to fix his bike, and the dialogue that they have, and just like the self-deprecation and everything it's, else, it's just it's it's so, so great. It's so good. It's just it's just it's just really well written. It's just great. It's it's just a gr- I want to call it content. It's just a great ad, and it's. It, it is it is just that it's self-deprecating humor the guy basically just like you know craps on the tour de france cyclist being like oh you who are you billy big balls and you're like and you're like <laughs> zipping around and it's like i mean the, the you know a lot of the joke is he doesn't know that this guy is actually a tour de france cyclist has a nor, nor cares nor cares he doesn't care he's like oh yeah rudy i don't care and look at my bike big saddle very you know very cushy what's that it's like sitting on a piece of iron and it's just, it's just, it, it, they're like, they're very late to the game with the bike share. London's had it for years. You know, Portland's got it. LA has all of the different, 
you know ride share equivalents and they didn't they didn't care and they launched this this content and it's it's brilliant it's just yeah. a re- great piece of advertising because you want to watch it you want to watch what they've made and it's if i could if i could i would buy some i would buy some dublin bike yeah it's uh you know they they also don't shy away from some of the things that maybe aren't the best features of that uh dublin bike like it's extremely heavy uh he he, (laughs) tried you know he tries to lift it but what i like about it is that it calls it calls a spade a spade you know, they show this exchange happens in crappy Irish weather. Um, I think yeah. a lot of people would say that, oh, you know, bike share is reserved for, you know, good weather cities or, you know, the summertime. And I think what they do there is show that, like, no, it's actually something that you can do uh, year round. Like, this is not going to be a performance bike. Performance bike, it's, it is heavy, but it's comfortable yeah. because they contrast the saddle of that bike to the saddle of the Tour de France um, guy's bike. And yeah, I think it's just great content. It drives home the point, but more than anything, it makes people talk about it, which is how they're going to get that word of mouth uh, association, yeah. grow their awareness, and probably on a fairly limited media spend, get a lot yeah. of bang for their buck because people will be going and watching the the video on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine they're putting a. I, I can't imagine they have a lot of money to put behind it because it's not like it's a private company. It's you know, it's it is sponsored by um, a TV channel subscription brand thing um but they're paying for the sponsorship they're not going to be paying for the, the advertising of the bike what i what i kind of liked was like people have a bad especially in london especially especially in richmond people hate cyclists and it kind of plays off that a little bit in being like i'm not like you yeah. i'm a regular person and i want to ride a bike and i'm not the lycra crack like like her like her clad um professional trying to zip around and be want to be professional want to be professional like in the in the ad he is a professional but everyone else you're not um <laughs> but like it, it kind of contrasts that and i really like these like he's a normal bloke who wants to get around easier and better and it 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 does a really great job of being like, this is for, you know, you're not going to be seen as a, as one of those Lycra, Lycra warriors or Spanx warriors. That's what they're called. Spanx warriors zipping around causing a hassle. You're like, you're just a regular bloke trying to just get around town. I really like that. And the end, the end of the ad is he just cycles up next to him and overtakes him. And it's, it's very funny. Very funny. Between you and I, we have uh, four thumbs and I think we can give it four enthusiastic thumbs up. Four, four, for 30 minutes CMO thumbs up um so you know what's really good when you want to go cycling carb loading the night before what's really good with carb loading pasta mm-hmm. gorilla pasta launched um a playlist timer so you know when you take the pot off the boil oh that's brilliant and i this was a really really great thing um because it not only does it just for like in general roughly 10 minutes they have one for each of the t- pasta types and they're timed exactly. So when you put it on and it boils, you press play on the playlist. And as soon as it finishes, that's when you take the pot off the boil and strain the pasta. And they do it for the spaghetti, the, the rigatoni, the fusilli. It's just like, it, it's, it's, I thought it was such a great um, 
like non-advertising traditional advertising but a really great advertising experience where it's like you know you could listen to a timer or wait for a timer to go off or you can listen to some fun music and they're like they're done by genres there's like 90s hip-hop there's like reggae there's rock and it all goes with the pasta type i just thought it was a really nice way to to tie in a 10 minute chunk of your time where you're waiting for something to happen with uh with an experience and tying it into the brand um in a in a good partnership i feel you can, I, feel, I feel like you can just play the bohemian rhapsody once and the pasta is done <laughs> i mean yeah you could do that or you could That's... listen to a couple of different songs yeah, I don't know. Well, listen, um, I think I think it's a very creative, uh, creative approach. Um, again, gets people to maybe talk about Brilla. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know if I am. I'm one of those people that absolutely always watches something on YouTube when I am cooking. Yeah, I think having an alternative like a playlist, you know, I'll try it once, see if it's cool. But more than anything, I think I think it just gets in front of the consumer's mind. Um, and depending on how they push it, because Right now, it's two ad guys discussing something that they read on yeah. in, inside an ad magazine. Uh, but <laughs> will will the general public, you know, appreciate the the thing that Brilla is giving them? I think that's the trick always. Well, yeah, I mean, I think like when you go to the shops and you buy pasta, it's a very price driven um, moment. You're not unless you've grown up eating a specific type. Yeah. Um, you're not necessarily going there unless you're eating a specific type or you're very, you know, you're very fancy and you're very looking to the most expensive or like the most authentic um, version. You're kind of going like by price. And I feel like this is a really good way to distinguish or differentiate yourself. So if you, even if you don't necessarily know the brand or know much about it, if it gets talked about, you see it, someone listening to the playlist or it pops up somewhere on a Spotify, you know, when they give you the, the recommendations, you know, if you can have a positive association with it and then you go to the shop and be like, Oh yeah, that's the brand that did the Spotify playlist for my spaghetti. Let's do that. Let's see if it works. And it's like that challenge mentality. Then I, I feel like they've, they've done enough to you know, separate themselves out from the, the, you know, the 10, 20 foot shelf space in, um, in the big Tesco's. I, um, I would actually say that they should consider printing, um, this on the packaging, um, you know, some sort of shelf wobblers. That's what they should be doing. Shelf wobblers and packaging. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because if you're there and you haven't heard about this whole thing like how would you know but if i saw like a spotify logo on a pack of i mean it, it, it would at least make me stop and look at it a little bit closer because i would wonder why is there a spotify logo on, yeah. on a thing of pasta um yeah and that's and that's why you're you know the cmo not, <laughs> you're, doing, you're doing you're doing everything from digital to in-store um, experience it's it's omni-channel it's just omni-channel. <laughs> it's omni-channel well, going from some uh, fun things to less fun things, um, at least when it comes to Google and the nation of Australia, uh, Google is threatening to leave Australia uh, after the government is, uh, you know, talks about making Google pay 
for uh, pay the news sources uh, from where they source the news. I have, I've read about this. I know you have as well. Um, essentially, what's happening in some countries, and it seems like Australia is at the forefront of legislating against this, is um, is considering that basically Google, Facebook, those kinds of companies are profiting off the back of uh, content and news uh, news companies, right? News providers, content providers that uh, they pull in that information, they limit the amount of traffic that those websites receive um, and they don't pay anything for this. Uh, so they're becoming um, kind of the monopoly of in terms of um, destination online. Um, I know that for a very long time in Germany, there's been the battle royale between publishers and Google, and they demand that there's um, payment, uh, a payment system that's set up. So Australia is saying um, that they're going to tax Google essentially or force some sort of payment. Google is saying, no way. They don't want to set a precedent because they know there's <laughs> there's pressure elsewhere and everyone is looking at what's going to happen here. So they're saying, we're going to leave the market completely. We're going to shut Australia um, out of using Google as a search engine. I am sure that this is not going to happen. I cannot yeah. imagine you know, Google leaving Australia. Um, also, um, you know, it's it's a hub for a lot of their operations in Southeast Asia. Um, so it's not an, a trivial thing to just shut everything down there. But it seems like they're playing chicken. It seems like um, the government mm -hmm. and the news publishers are pretty, pretty set on getting their way. Um, it's a fairly populist move. And Google doesn't want to budge because they know that should this domino fall, Germany will surely follow. A lot of the Northern European yeah. countries uh, that are aligned with Germany on that front will also look to that. Um, they can't afford for this to happen. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a big, it's a big move for them to, you know, shut it down if they were to do that. Um, I got, I got two, two things that I, you know, have, have thoughts on. Um, Google shutting down in Australia would leave a huge gap in the market for other search engines to fill. They make a boatload of money from advertising. It's like, they're going to not only shut down to not pay, but then they're going to lose a bunch of, of revenue as well. So you know, I'm not sure that they want to do that. But then on the flip side, Google is what 80% of the, or 60% of the, of the market share in terms of search. So, you know, the, the websites are benefiting from the traffic that Google brings. Like you're not, if, if Google disappears, then they're going to have to go through Bing and Yahoo and other excellent uh, search engines. Um, but it's like they're funneling traffic through to the sites. So I feel like with Google, it's a, it, it's, it's different like Facebook where Facebook basically thrives on content being brought into the platform from external sources. Like if someone said Facebook needs to pay news sources for the content that they host on their platform, be like, yeah, that makes sense because they're basically selling advertising because people are there in part through the content that's there. Google is more functional. You don't hang out on Google to go, you know, see your chat with your friends and leave comments and likes and stuff. It's very much more of a functional. I want to go find this thing. It takes me to this place and I go to that site. And I feel like that's for me, that's a harder, harder way to, to, to have that monetization. 
like one does not exist without the other yeah in that, in that case but i think i think google um has made an effort over the years to um prevent people users from leaving the platform because and they start you know when you go on google and you ask you ask google a question of any kind yeah usually they'll give you um, a tile at the top that answers it pretty well oh yeah and yes it does link to a source but at this point are you going to click through to that source and um and and would you be inclined to then go and um and read more about this um i fundamentally like i think that fundamentally the the online news publishing ecosystem is so broken that you know penalizing yeah. google is not the thing that's going to uh, or going to war with google is not the thing that's going to um no. solve solve your issues you know there's very few successful um successful kind of um methods of of, of doing um online journalism well but you know the new york times um mostly sits behind the paywall uh produces excellent yeah. digital only content um doesn't syndicate this out on apple news or anything else like that and um you know through the strength of the content that they produce attracts yeah. um you know, millions of paying subscribers. Um, if you don't offer excellence, you're probably, you know, going to war with Google isn't the thing that's going to be the difference between you succeeding and failing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like if you're, if, if the issue is you're trying to force, <laughs> you're trying to force intermediaries to pay you money for, for users to, to see your content, that's not a solve. That's a, that's trying to, you know, solve a symptom not the problem i think they, the telegraph did it what 20 years ago now almost um they went no 20 years ago no 15 years ago ish they were behind a paywall they were the first news organizations to go behind a paywall yeah. and everyone was like they're dead that is the worst thing you can do online right now um that you know they're gonna they're gonna fall and they haven't and they won't and you know, yeah new york times washington post wall street journal if you produce good content, people will pay for it. If you produce the same content as everyone else, and it doesn't matter if you go to you, competitor one, competitor two, competitor three, if you're covering the same stuff with no point of view, with no, you know, differentiation of knowledge. Yeah. It's, is you know, that's, that's the problem you've got to fix, not forcing Google and Facebook to pay you more money for having your content. Honestly, also, I have to say that uh, many, uh, many second tier news sites are just god awful. You go on them yeah. and just from, a, you know, because they have to compensate um, for their lack of revenue from elsewhere by sticking their pages chock full of ads. Uh, it's just not a pleasant experience, you know. Um, and at some point, I think um, the world kind of divided into two camps. Those people who were seeking good journalism and the good, good way to consume that content. And they said, okay, you know what? I am going to pay for it. Even though we were all yeah. conditioned for the first decade of the internet to, to get the same news you used to pay for in paper form online for free. Again, the newspapers made that, you know, mistake, not, not, not Google, yeah. not the customers. Yeah. Um, you know, then, uh, you know, and then there's the other half, which con con continues to consume the free uh, stuff that comes on all of their feeds, Twitter, Apple News, et cetera, et cetera. A good example, you said the Telegraph, the good example of opposite that was the Guardian who said, we'll forever have our um, uh, site accessible for free. And from what I can tell, they had to walk um, some of that back. And now on every page that you go to, they ask for donations, um, yeah. you know, because they, they ask for donations. Yeah. 
you know, and the Guardian was very aggressive uh, in in being on all of those platforms, like Apple News, being accessible freely, and they're not as much anymore. Um, and I think it's because they realize that there are limits to what ad ad supported traffic can um, yeah. can can do. So it's um it's it's it, I mean I I Google seems just like a simple like an easy enemy to point at. Um, and I think yeah. this is why Google is not wrong at saying this is. You guys have to look deeper at these issues and we're willing to be um, at the table there, like searching for a solution, but we are not the, yeah. the only reason why this is happening. Yeah, no, that's that's very much, very, very much accurate there. Um, so going from one social platform to another social platform, Reddit and the Reddit revolution over the last couple of days. Um, so this has been quite the divisive topic both online and in person but essentially what's happened is reddit and the subreddit uh wall street bets basically um some some really smart people on there uh saw that a bunch of hedge funds were shorting gamestop um shares and they said screw those guys everyone go and buy gamestop and we'll we'll mess with the hedge funds and not only do they mess with the hedge funds, they've caused like quite a national, maybe international incident yeah. where Reddit, uh, where GameStop shares have jumped 2000% in the last couple of days. Hedge funds have lost billions from yeah. shorting these. And everyone is at all of the regulators are in a panic mode trying to figure out how to how accurately um, sort of manage this. Robinhood is under a load of shit right now because they stopped um, uh, GameStop, BlackBerry, Nokia, AMC from appearing on their platform. And for the first time ever, I think in the history of anything, AOC and Donald Trump Jr. are on the same page. And not only that, so is Ted Cruz. And I feel like if you're if you're gonna be agreeing with Ted Cruz and Donald Trump Jr. on something, something is very, very, very broken. But basically what are they what, saying? What's happened? Well, they're basically saying um the hedge fund and the billionaires who run them are complaining that the Reddit um subreddit is manipulating the stock market unfairly and you know they shouldn't be allowed to do that and what everyone else is saying is you've been doing that forever this is a free market if you if you short a stock and it goes the wrong way tough luck right so i mean it just goes to show like the power of of coming together when and it and i think it's it's more than just the stock and um and and screwing over the the hedge fund managers it's like you know you don't get to run this and i feel like they've they've just figured out a way to really mess with wall street and it's just the frustration boiling over from you caused the 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 issue and you know the global issue in 2009 and now we finally figured out a way to to get back at you like you you broke it 10 years ago and now we're going to break it for you yeah, you know, I was, I, I was, it's a fascinating story, absolutely, without a doubt. And listening to all of the, you know, 
experts, quote unquote, uh, saying that they're baffled by how social media can affect global finance to such an extent um, is, is definitely really interesting. One thing I read um, that seems uh, to point at the root of kind of this happening now are, you know, what are the factors that drove, uh, that, that, that drove this? Um, well, first, it's the advent of commission-free trading uh, through apps like yeah. Robinhood. And I think everyone else essentially jumped into the fray because that became the new norm. I think it would be a fascinating podcast um, at some point um, as a topic to discuss how something that used to cost money became free and what are the mechanics yeah. behind that. But that's that's for another day. The second thing is the pandemic. Um, one, people have potentially a lot more time because they are at home and they don't have other things uh, to distract them from. But two, a lot of people lost their jobs and they're again, 10 years after the financial crisis, angry at you know having been yeah. kicked to the curb while you know they read about the Jeff Bezos of the world making billions um, you know during the same time period. And the third, um, again, what this uh, article that I read pointed out is that people are getting their um, you know the checks that the government has been sending out, the stimulus checks. And uh, for those yeah. people that don't need this money necessarily to uh, to survive, they're using it as as a plaything to direct towards things like this. And yeah. so what everyone is waiting for is if this $1.9 trillion stimulus passes um, and another batch of $1,400 checks goes out, a lot of that money could be directed towards these types of things. And a lot more stocks could be um, affected by this, which um, if the government doesn't create some sort of a ring fence around this, you know, could un, you know upend um, many industries. Um, I think it's funny to look at it on an isolated basis. You know, everyone yeah. um, understands that GameStop is a failing company. BlackBerry is not the company that it used to be. Like you said to me before, these are nostalgia plays. You know, everyone is kind of, what is the blockbuster tweet you said? Oh, yeah. It was like, at Reddit, um, do your thing. Do your thing. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, you know, it's funny when it happens to, you know, three or four or five companies, but it also can be used for potentially very nefarious purposes. Um yeah. you know, say what you want, but these hedge funds, you know, they invest with a thesis and strategy in mind. The retail investors, especially in the in this case, are basically exacting revenge and having fun. And that is yeah. something that's very difficult to control. I mean, it's, it's a, I mean, it's an interesting, it's, it's a really interesting topic because where does the free market end and the regulation begin? Because you've got hedge funds who are accountable to the regu the regulatory body, like that they exist within a within a rule system yeah. which as we've seen can be bent and can be you know they can do things that they shouldn't do and get away scot-free and now you've got a bunch of you know normal people with 300 400 bucks uh able to like really screw with the system and now they want to get now they're trying to you know hold people accountable there's a there's a great clip of a of a hedge funds owner um, billionaire who's basically saying this is really unfair they shouldn't be allowed to do this whereas they they themselves hold billions of dollars in in capital and do this all the time it's like where does it right you know, is it just because they're professionals and they're allowed to do this and the people who aren't professionals aren't allowed to do this like where does where does the divide go how do you regulate this how do you like you know, like we talked about last week with you know Facebook and pu pushing through the 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 data um, capture like 
how, what's the best way to manage this in a way that you don't come out with egg in your face and i feel like right now you know the the stock markets are not doing a great job on this they're reacting really badly robin hood did a terrible job at just like banning everyone from buying these stocks and as soon as they did that i was a hundred thousand people uh gave robin hood a one-star review in a day and it's now at a one-star review across the board and by that apple have to basically pull the app from the app store to review what happened it's like you know like they they did a right. terrible job at, at managing this so like you know this shouldn't be able to happen but when you've got four million people on a subreddit and it takes off you know this is the age we live in like it's not it's not just a few people around a table making a decision to, to do one thing at the same time like you know these hedge funds they they do this all the time they they'll squeeze a stock and pump it up and then sell out and then every, it, it turns to nothing like this is not a new thing it's just like normal people do it now and not the professionals it's like is it i i, I don't know what the answer is this is just like a really it's fascinating i think it's, it's it's super is fascinating like, is this you know like as a one-off it's quite funny to watch but now people know that they can do this then there needs to be some guardrails in, in, in place because this is going to not just impact, you know, hedge fund managers losing billions of dollars. If this goes, if this goes, you know, wider, this is going to impact, you know, people's 401ks this is going to impact people's like life savings. You know, if everyone rallies around one stock drives it up and then, and then you know, it well, busts because I, I, I think I see similarities to what to the first Bitcoin hype a couple of years ago, yeah. three, three years ago, when when everyone got on this bandwagon, drove the value up to almost twenty thousand dollars, and then the whole thing just like ran off a cliff. It, it's recovered since, but it took years, several years, for this to happen. So um, we'll see. We'll see. I, I can tell you one thing: the meme game has been strong <laughs> yes my favorite my, my my favorite so far i think it's because the valuation of gamestop is now has now put it at like the top 50 companies in the fortune 500 list yeah <laughs> there is yeah, that a... <laughs> <laughs> it's like a conference room table full of like execs in a suit and big bird from sesame street <laughs> sitting next to them <laughs> it's pretty good it's pretty good it's just like yeah when you're when you're what um fortune 500 companies with te tesla apple and and microsoft is this big bird that at a conference room table <laughs> hi guys hi guys oh it's so good it's so good i i i'm really interested to see what happens next because not only is this like a, a real life like it's like a it's like a real life real people money thing yeah it's a communications disaster and you know reputation it's going to be a really interesting thing to see what happens especially when like you said like they're going to get two trillion dollars pumped into the economy so to be we'll continued to be continued all to right friend continued. i think uh i think this brings us to a close on this um episode yeah. of the show yep uh thanks for joining me have a safe drive to los angeles later this week and uh thank you very much we'll probably take a take a beat between this episode and the next one um given that you're moving yep. But after that, yep. we'll hope to be back and uh, with some great new content.